many youngsters now grow up thinking, oh, I don't need a coach. Here's a computer that tells me the best move in any given position. Yes, it will tell you the strongest move, but it will not necessarily tell you what is the hole in your thinking and your thought process. And welcome back to Corvinus Business Intelligence. Today, we're continuing our discussion about the synergies between the world of chess and the world of business. And we are so pleased to have back with us for this episode in the series, Norbert Fogarashi, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley and Head of Morgan Stanley Hungary. Norbert is also a member of the Hungarian Chess Federation and is intensively involved in the Global Chess Festival. He, he was an internationally ranked player obtaining the title of FIDA Candidate Master with a peak rating of 2200. He then moved into his studies in computer science and financial mathematics and obtained a PhD in computer science. And he is now, as I mentioned, head of Morgan Stanley Hungary. My name is Theodore Boone and I'm a member of the faculty of Corvinus University School of Budapest in Budapest, Hungary. And my co-host for today's program is Chris Chordash, a student at our business school. I'd like to thank our sponsors and distributors for this podcast, the Budapest Business Journal, Hungary's practical business bi-weekly since 1992, and unilife.hu that has over 25,000 and up to 50,000 daily real users and is a leading platform in Hungary on higher education. Norbert, welcome back. It's great to be back, Ted. Thanks a lot. You had mentioned one of the qualities you look for are the ability of your people to, to work in a team when it's, when it's necessary, when it's appropriate. And I'd like you to try to draw some either parallels or contrast between being part of a team at Morgan Stanley and being part of a chess team. Um, because I think a chess team is an interesting concept. I know they're chess teams. But you, one also sometimes thinks of chess, at least I do, is a little bit of a lonely existence. You're sitting there with the board, with a player across from you, or at a laptop, or you're, you're studying past games and openings. So what is it like to be part of a chess team? How is there teamwork in a chess team? And how might that relate to being part of a team at Morgan Stanley? That's a great question, Ted. And... Um... And actually that's the aspect, one of the aspects of chess I enjoy the most. And I find that out about myself that I'm probably not a complete loner and a complete um, introvert uh, because I don't enjoy the individual aspect as much as I enjoy chess uh, team competitions. And growing up in Hungary, team competitions were a big, big part of, um, of our chess education and our chess uh, playing because we played in teams in the you know, Hungarian nationals. We played in teams, you know, there were actually junior boards on the adult team. So I, I, from an early age, I, I played amongst adults on the team. And some of the best uh, noted and best covered events within chess, such as the Chess Olympiad or the European Team Chess Championships are actually team events. And yes, it may sound like a misnomer. What actually happens in team events, you still only play one versus one. Uh, however, the scores of the same team players is added up to determine the final score of that match. Uh, and usually our 
strongest player plays against the other team's strongest player, our second best plays against their second best. So we try to establish it in order of strength. Um, and the reason why it's still so different is because the other games that are going on definitely have an impact on your own thought process and on your own decision-making process. So to give you an example, when your team is up against a stronger, a higher ranked team, and you see that your fellow team members are struggling just to hold a draw, uh, and we're in a smash situation where we need to win to you know, stay in the event, then you're gonna be inevitably risking more, right? And trying to, um, to um, uh, put more on the line. Um, or conversely, you know, if your team is winning, um, and you have a very promising position, you may not take as much risk because you see that you know, a draw will suffice to actually win the match. So, so these um, uh, uh, events or, or on the other board actually have an impact on your own board. And yes, it's similar in Morgan Stanley when you're on a team. And um, I, I would like to talk a little bit about diversity and diversity and inclusion. Because when you're on a team, um, you know, the outcome of that team in a business setting is inevitably better. Um, and it's a better informed decision that you can make with other people than if you're making it on your own or with only like-minded people. And we actually have a number of studies to show this. Um, in business, it is our strong belief that diverse teams make better quality business decisions. And it's not just about gender, but also the whole diversity and inclusion spectrum. We actually see this as an opportunity. We also need to connect to clients where, you know, financial services industry. And by having a diverse team, we feel we can better connect with our diverse set of, of clients. Uh, having an open and inclusive corporate culture is fundamental to our goals um, and our role as a global leader in the financial services. Uh, so this is in fact one of Morgan Stanley's core values is to commit to diversity and inclusion. This means that we value individual and cultural differences as a defining strength and champion an environment where all the employees feel a sense of belonging, they're heard, they're seen and respected. Um, and we expect our people to challenge behavior that's counter to our culture of inclusion, helping us to attract, develop and retain talent, reflecting the full diversity of society. So beautiful. That's how every company should be. And within that vein, what you were talking about in a prior episode of uh, these international chess tournaments that Morgan Stanley holds um, with different offices of Morgan Stanley, it would seem to fit right very well into that approach. Would it not, Norbert? Absolutely. So I see chess's role within Morgan Stanley as a tool to connect people of different uh, backgrounds, you know, of different even social status, you know, cultural backgrounds, genders, you know, whatever gamut or whatever axis of the diversity spectrum you want to take, this is a, a great tool to get us connected. And as I mentioned earlier in the episode, chess is such a great uh, leveler and has such universal appeal that people of completely different backgrounds and level, age, gender can have a very competitive game against each other uh, and especially with the internet now you don't even need to travel to make these things happen we played all of our international chess tournaments within morgan stanley over the internet uh, and it's worked uh, splendidly well and hence you know another connection point to judith bolgar and our sponsorship of the global chess festival whose motto is exactly this chess connects us Chris, please, please go ahead. I, I got a bunch more questions, and unfortunately, we're rapidly running out of time again. But Chris, please go ahead. I have a 
totally unrelated question to this topic related to your work at Morgan Stanley. What was the most complex invention related to AI development that your team has achieved? Yeah, so AI is having some amazing breakthroughs. And um, let me tie it to chess because I like to tie everything to chess. Um, using the tool of the game of chess, there was a f an amazing breakthrough in artificial intelligence about three or four years ago now that wasn't broadly and widely advertised. And I'd like to call it out in this podcast. DeepMind uh, Deep is a company that's created a program called AlphaZero. Prior to this, they've created a program called AlphaGo, which is really the only way to tackle the game of Go with the use of a computer. And the way it works is very simple. You just teach a computer how to play chess. That's all you do. You just program it to know how the pieces move. And then you get the computer to play against itself. And then you apply some learning, deep learning algorithms on these games that it plays against itself to figure out which strategies are working, which strategies are not working. And DeepMind, this company did this in a very efficient way, and they've really thrown some heavy duty hardware at it. And what they found that over the course of just a few hours, the computer has gone through the thinking process that humanity has gone over in a number of decades and centuries. And this is a scary piece. So when they looked at, okay, after one hour, this computer has now producing games that we used to see back in the 17th and 18th centuries played by humans. And then we should give it a couple more hours to learn and create better strategies. Now we're all of a sudden seeing openings and strategies that humans are now employed you know, 20 years ago. And what's scary is now the, when, you, when you let this algorithm run even further, these computers now outplay the best classical computers um, to a great extent. And they're employing strategies which have never been seen before. So this is kind of the future of chess produced by AI. And it's still being studied and the full extent of this has not been understood or grasped, I think, I think by the chess community. Now, similarly, I think in business, the applications of AI have not been fully grasped or have been fully understood. I think we're still um, at the outset. Having said that, we see some amazing applications of AI and very efficient applications of AI in various fields. Um, and the one that I would call out that um, we've spent the most time on is this tool for the financial advisors that I mentioned in the previous episode called Next Best Action, which takes into its learning algorithms all of the various positions of, our, of, of a given financial advisor's clientele. It looks at all of the markets and market movements that occurred overnight. Uh, it looks at some of the life events of the clientele, whether they've recently gotten married or if they recently had a child or whatever else. And based on that, tries to uh, recommend the next best action to the financial advisor. It's a fantastic application. It's a fantastic tool that's really made the job of our financial advisors much easier, but it clearly did not eliminate their jobs. We still need the human intervention and the human oversight over these algorithms, but we're proud to have been involved in this project from Budapest. We could just do a whole series of podcasts, uh, Norbert, on really that subject that you were speaking about. I actually have two more questions for you, Norbert. One is uh, the concept of coaching in chess. I'm sure you had a chess coach and any serious player does, and I'm sure at Morgan Stanley, you may not call them coaches, or you might, um, but you have mentors or people that try to develop the skills of, of uh, other folks that are less experienced. So I'm interested in, in your comparisons there between coaching somebody in chess and coaching somebody at work. 
No, great question. And I think there's a lot of, lot of similarities between the two and a lot of analogs. So yeah, growing up in Hungary, I had a chess coach who was a very highly ranked player, a very accomplished player. Um, and uh, what I learned from that experience is that um, they could very easily find the holes and the areas that I needed to improve within my game. And I think the role of a mentor is exactly this, that they're an independent sounding board. In the best of cases, the mentor is not your direct line manager, not even in your reporting line within the hierarchy of the organization, but rather an independent person who is more senior uh, to you, has spent more time at the company, knows the company's culture and how things get done and knows the industry better than you do. And they're able to spot the weaknesses in your thinking and in your approach to problems, much like a coach in chess would do. They are not necessarily better at the subject matter expertise that you've chosen um, to be your field. So this is why somebody that's entirely out of the realm of your reporting lines or subject matter is fine, but they would just uh, try and point out where you need improvements within your thinking or where you have holes in your thought process. And that is very much analogous to what value a coach can provide, as opposed to, say, a chess computer, right? Many youngsters now grow up thinking, oh, I don't need a coach. Here's a computer that tells me the best move in any given position. Yes, it will tell you the strongest move, but it will not necessarily tell you what is the whole in your thinking and in your thought process. And that's where, again, human interaction still cannot be replaced by computers. I wanted to ask if you know anything about portfolio management inside your firm. So in other global offices, I guess they have portfolio managers, but the Hungarian one doesn't? Correct. Yeah. So um, in the Budapest office, we don't actually do portfolio management, but within our investment management business, you know, we actually run very large portfolios for our clients. And some of our teams in Budapest support those portfolio managers with things like um, profit and loss reporting, cost accounting, and even some technology tools and technology solutions for doing their jobs. Unfortunately, we're almost out of time. I'll ask one last question. I want to get your impressions on, from my perspective, chess seems to be enjoying a huge boom in popularity. It's always been popular, but it, it seems to have grown exp exponentially. Um, I'm old enough to remember when I think something similar happened when uh, Bobby Fischer played Boris Spassky at the height of the Cold War. I was a kid in Reykjavik, and it seemed like the whole world was focusing on that. Um, and now the tremendous success of the Netflix series, The Queen's Gambit, uh, another movie, Pawn Sacrifice, and it seems to have pierced an even broader uh, consciousness. I'm sure you're happy about that. And honestly, from what you've said in terms of the Global Chess Festival and your involvement in that, and Morgan Stanley's involved in that, um, you are part of uh, what is responsible for that. Do you see that as something as continuing or do you see it kind of going up and down? And, and what is your general sense of this, what I perceive to be a, a boom in chess's popularity? Yeah, no, great question. I'm glad that we didn't do this podcast without mentioning Queen's Gambit and the ensuing popularity and boom in chess, absolutely, which can only be compared to the Fisher era. 
you know, I think the exponential growth in sales of chess sets, for example, subscriptions on chess YouTube, chess-related YouTube channels uh, or Twitch channels, uh, you know, the online content that's been generated over the last year, year and a half has really, really boomed. I don't think that can be sustained. So I don't think we'll see the same rate of expansion. Some people have estimated that in India alone, there were 2 million more chess players now than two years ago. So clearly some, some huge uh, growth in the popularity of the game, which, by the way, did originate in India. So it's, a, it's an apt place for it to be uh, blossoming and mushrooming again. Very, very happy about it because I think it's got a lot of transfer value, as we have covered in this podcast, that you can use, whether it be business, whether it be other areas of your life, basic life skills, such as, you know, having a plan for your own life, uh, planning your own financials, your personal financials, or your own personal relationships and career. Um, You don't have to be in business to be able to utilize the skills that are taught by chess. So I'm very, very happy about it for this reason. Uh, but I frankly don't think this uh, boom can be sustained. But if, um, if, if we can just maintain the number of um, new players that have joined the game, and if we can maintain the popularity and we can use it perhaps to get just more into the educational system, whereby it's a self-sustaining process of you know, kids growing up, learning at least the game and learning how it can be applied to their advantage, then I think uh, this boom was, was not for naught. Um, and again, back to my, back to my um, uh, main point, uh, chess is such a universal game. It has such a universal appeal and such accessibility all over the world. Um, the Chess Olympiad, um, which Budapest is looking to hold in 2024, is the fifth most popular event anywhere in the globe because basically every country in the world has a chess team that they're looking to enter into this competition, both in the men's and the women's side. Uh, so it has such universal appeal, the fact that anybody can play against um, and without regard to their gender or age or cultural background or physical abilities, it makes a fantastic opportunity for all of us to get connected, especially with the use of the internet. And that's a wonderful note on which to end this episode of our podcast of Corvinus Business Intelligent, discussing the relationships between the world of chess and the world of business. I would definitely like to thank my co-host, Chris Chordash, for co-hosting with me today. And most of all, I would like to most sincerely thank you, Norbert Fogarashi, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley and Head of Morgan Stanley Hungary, for this fantastic discussion. We leave you today with these words of Benjamin Franklin. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Thank you.